This podcast contains discussions about mental health and may contain discussions about suicide and self-harm. If you or somebody that you know is experiencing distress or is in immediate danger, dial triple O or call Lifeline on 131114 or be on blue on 1300 224636. Also, if you believe that someone you love is experiencing a mental health issue, please encourage them to go and talk to their GP as soon as possible. Thanks very much for listening. Hello folks, welcome to episode 69 of the How You Going Mate podcast. Adam is my name. Uh, I hope you all had a fantastic uh, Christmas and New Year. We had just a little bit of time off. We just decided to um, not put out a sort of an episode a couple of weeks ago, just to give ourselves a little bit of breathing room. Um, yeah, busy Christmas New Year period, and uh, if uh, uh, you're here in New South Wales, here in Sydney, um, you'll know that it's a, a, a crazy kind of a time. So I hope everyone is keeping safe and and really um, focusing on your mental health um, over this uh, spike in in. Uh, COVID infections. I, I try not to mention COVID too often in the uh, in the podcast, just because I want to try and avoid it a little bit. But it's it is kind of um, ubiquitous at the moment. It's unavoidable to talk about it. So hopefully everyone's keeping safe and everyone's doing what they can to keep themselves out of harm's way. Um, a couple of uh, little announcements at the beginning. Um, a big thank you uh, to everyone for uh, being a part of the podcast last year. Uh, 2022, we're, we're already looking bright. We've got a, this episode coming up with Steve Sweeney, and uh, we've got another fantastic episode coming up in a couple of weeks' time as well. And hopefully in the next few weeks, we'll, uh, or next week or so, I'll get to record an episode with uh, with a fellow who was one of the... Uh, well, he he kind of gave me the idea for How You Going, Mate. So we, we I'm, I'm yet going to have a chat to him in the next uh, week or so, hopefully, and we'll, um, we'll work out a time to record and... And do some stuff. So um, exciting times coming up. Uh, I want to also give a shout out to whoever it is that's listening in Annandale. <laughs> There's somebody that listens to in it was in Annandale, and they are listening to a lot of our episodes. Um, it is fantastic. Thank you so much for your uh, your support. And uh, if 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 you look, if you, anyone's interested, if anyone's listening to this, we um we're about telling people stories. You don't have to be special or different or, or you know have a profile or anything to be on our podcast um, if you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself I'd love to tell my story or I'd love to appear on an episode get in contact with us I would love to hear from uh, everybody and, uh, and and love to have people on the show so the people um, that are regular listeners in, in the US in Richardson and Ashburn um, please if you want to jump on an episode we can do it over Zoom or we can do it over um, Messenger Audio uh, and of course, whoever it is in Annandale that's listening, please get in contact and and um, and let's let's have a chat. I'd be really interested to have you on the show. So we have all of that being said. Uh, most of you know that um, we've had Ben and David from the men's table. Most of you know that I um, uh, uh, participate in the men's table once a month. For those of you that haven't heard of the men's table, uh, it is a, a meeting once a month just with a group of men, and we sit and we uh, talk about what's going on for us. And uh, it's an opportunity for men to share their feelings and to be heard. 
and uh, it's something that you know it, it doesn't happen in our in our world in society. Uh, it's quite unique for us to be able to have that. And you know, traditionally, men have been expected, to, I guess, to be the strong, silent type. And I appreciate that's a a very very strong generalisation. <clears throat> but um, it, it's certainly something that I've experienced, and it's certainly something that I think a lot of men experience. So. You know, the idea for me behind the men's table is to to, to give uh, provide an environment where a man can come in, talk about what's happening for him, talk about his mental health, talk about his own um, life, and not be judged, not be fixed. They're very you know very um, adamant on what they call the fundamentals, which is um, a, a set of rules around how we behave at tables. You know, no interruptions, no stories, no, you know, oh, that happened to me or my brother or they call it the brother-in-law rule, um, that happened to me. It is really just about sitting and listening to another man another man talk about what's happening for him and, and as that man having that that space where you can talk about that and feel like you're, um, you're going to be listened to. It's really quite incredible. So uh, I was at a, a men's table function at the end of last year and I got, was able to connect with a man named Steve Sweeney, and Steve Sweeney has been involved with the men's table for a very long time, as you'll hear in our episode, and and professionally and personally has done a lot of men's work over the years, um, work with men and their mental health, and this is a really interesting chat. I, I'm, I'm very keen for people to hear this because Steve's got a, a vast range of experience, and we touched right at the end. We, we talked about this when we were talking prior to the episode recording, but we touched right in the end about sex and self-care and and if you google self-care you'll see a lot of people will talk about all the usual stuff exercise diet sleep um you know mindfulness great gratitude and they're all absolutely part of what we should be doing to look after ourselves you know but very rarely do we talk about the importance of sex and and connection sexual physical connection and self-care and even something like masturbation uh it's a you know a very much a, a taboo topic still um, so, and and you won't see, you know, very rarely do you see, if you look at the top 10 ideas for self-care, very rarely do you see one of them, you know, say, hey, go and find your uh, other half and jump in the cot. So um, we don't touch on that right at the end, but there, this is a really interesting chat about men, men's mental health, and um, and particularly there's a really interesting section in the middle about what it means to be a man and um, and how we define ourselves as men. So... Um, have a chat, have a listen, let me know what you think, I would love any feedback that you have, anything you want to let me know, any ideas you have for future episodes, and again, if, you, if you're if you listening, and you're like, man, I'd really love to go on that thing, we will take all comers, you don't have to have, you just have to have an interesting story, and that's all we want, and um, most of us do. So, uh, without further ado, let's uh, ask Steve the question. Steve, how you going, mate? Adam, I'm great. I'm now dealing with the end of year Christmas fatigue. Yep. You know, and just trying to get across the finish line. Yeah. Like most, like most people with families and multiple sort of um, being being pulled in multiple directions, mm-hmm. and you're just waiting to get across that line and just the oh, last time finish for the year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess the starting point for you and I in this conversation is. Uh, the men's table. You, yeah, you, yeah. How did you find your way onto the men's table? I was invited. Right. Um, yeah, we had a, a a gathering here in 
2020, I think it was, late 2020. And um, one of the guys, um, Michael, he's the um, the guy who's been hired by Men's Table to you know increase the number of tables around Australia, mm-hmm. in New South Wales at least. And um, so he was here just as a friend, just as a local person, and uh, as a friend of a friend, and uh, met him there, and uh, we got on really well. And then uh, when they came to starting a table in Kiama, he just gave me a call and said, "Hey, are you interested?" And it was like, "Yeah, I am. I, you know, I haven't done a, haven't been part of a men's group for years, and, and I'm feeling the need to have that support by other men. So I would, I jumped at the chance." It's um, it's it's really interesting, and I guess people will be listening that won't understand what it is. So, in a really short way, it's it's a, where we have a, it's a men's group where we meet once a month and we talk about what's going on for us. And their catch line is: we don't talk about footy and shit. We talk about real emotions and the things that are going on for us. Um, for me, it came along at a time um, where I had some things going on, and my wife actually looked at me at some point and went. Yeah, you need to do this. You need you need a group like this. You need to go. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, not that I was being horrible or anything like that, but she just knew mentally where I was at and that it was going to be ultimately a thing that was good for me. Did you have a similar experience, or was this something you did just purely for yourself? Like it wasn't necessarily motivated by anyone else. Ah, uh, no. Look, I've done a lot of men's work over the years, and I've facilitated many, many men's groups and fathers' groups and. And anger management, and domestic mm-hmm. groups, and a whole range of things, and um, so it's it, for me. It was moving to a new area. I've been down here seven years, seven years this week. Oh wow! Congratulations. And, um, yeah, thanks. And um, so it's just you know, just um, needing a bit of support from other men. Just at a time of my life where I'm just okay, I'm not feeling as connected with the community down here as I'd like to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want some more real conversations. And uh, so when the opportunity came up for Men's Table, it was it was great. And I've been part of the Kiama Men's Table now for since April, May, June, I think it was, May or June it was. We had our first one. And... Um, and it's been great. It's a great bunch of guys, and um, it's been incredibly supportive, as well as um, it's quite bonding for you know the guys who have been there. You know, even though most of the meetings have been online because of the lockdown that we've had this year. Yeah, that's been the the, the tough part of it. We had quite a few men that were, um, I guess. Uh, older men that really didn't handle the technology very well, didn't like the technology, couldn't manage the technology, whatever that looked like. And so that was a struggle for a couple of those guys was, you know, well, we want to um, we want to participate, but we can't because we don't want to, we can't do it over the Zooms or whatever medium you're using, you know. Yeah, but it's, you know, for, for many men, it's a foreign idea to be in a group of men and actually talk about what's really going on for yourself you know a lot of us are encultured into that you know let's just talk about the footy and let's just talk about the the golf and sport and you know and talk about things sort of on a surface level and um and you know and 
and there's a lot of communication that happens around that sort of stuff as well, you know. So let's not let's not forget that. Mm. And there's a lot of um, you know real emotion and, and stuff that happens there. But we don't. A lot of us don't have the. We haven't been taught the tools to hold space for each other, to listen with each other, to to not fix each other. Mm-hmm. You know, as men, we're a lot of us are problem solvers, and so we hear somebody who's hurting or who's got a problem and we offer advice and quite often that's not what we want to hear we just want to be heard you know we just need somewhere to share what's going on with us without being judged without being criticized without being seen less than yeah and that's um that's the 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 really interesting experience that i've had um our table's reasonably new and we struggle with the idea of, you know, as you were saying, the the fixing and the things like that, we still have a bit of that happening because, you know, it's, we're, we're conditioned to do it. It's just come so naturally. And we have a lot of guys kind of coming in and, and wanting to give advice and interject. And we, we really have to work hard to actually say, guys, just let people talk, you know, let people do what they need to do. But it's a real struggle for us. It's a real struggle. And and I think it's probably indicative of how it is for males, generally speaking. As you say, we just want to talk. We just want to fix. We just want to make it better, you know. And we struggle to do that. We're, we're getting better at it. Um, but it's been really interesting for me to be able to have that experience and then transfer that into my private life. I, I start paying attention now to how much I don't actually listen to people. And people uh, don't actually listen to me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like you know, the old... Oh, listen, absolutely. I listen Mate, with the, the intent first replying. Time, the first time that someone actually gave me 100% attention, mm. I think I was 28. Mm. And I'd, I'd um, you know, started a uh, natural therapies course. And one of the teachers there was a you know highly revered older man and sat down with him to talk about some issue... And and he was just 100% present for me. And it was one of the most disturbing things that had ever happened to me at that stage. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, it was really uncomfortable. <laughs> Aren't you going to give me some advice? Aren't you going to tell me what to do? <laughs> it's just like, you know. <laughs> Surely you've got a brother-in-law that went through the same thing. Talk about him for a minute. Yeah, and as far as men's table goes, that's the the beauty of the fundamentals. So you can just keep those fundamentals in front of you and in front of the whole group and just come back to, hey, guys, remember the fundamentals, you know, and so it's not personal. It's like, this is the structure that we have. Mm. Let's back to the structure that we have. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's the the key there, isn't it, that the fact that there are those rules that are so – they've been tried and tested. They're not – rules that they've just made up randomly they they know that they work and if you follow them well, yeah it's good structure mm. it's a nice basic structure to have yeah you know, and it works yeah yeah i think it does as well i'm seeing it myself in a, in a few of the guys that come to our group i think it's really fantastic yeah it is and you need that structure for the you know i like to use the word container there's a you know you're creating a container where you've got 10 or 12 of you and you're you're in the room and you're you're sharing stuff that's risky mm. you know you've got to get it off your chest otherwise mm. you go mad mm. 
you know, and you've got to get it off your chest and you, you, you don't want to be judged for it. You don't want to be held in less than or seen to be weak or seen to be, you know, all the number of things that men are seen to be if they're not the, the normal male model. And and then that, that container is what those, that, that guidelines is what keeps the, the, the structure of the container with some integrity so that everyone feels safe in there. Mm. You know, so obviously confidentiality is there and, you know, so you've got the the structure that keep everyone safe and so that everyone can say what they've got to say. Mm. Yeah, that's the, um, that's the really, the, you know, and it's funny because I think a lot of men are being introduced to terms like, you know, a safe space and sometimes those terms get mocked, you know, oh, you need a safe space, do you? But that, the container, that safe space is so important that you know it's going to stay there, it's not going to leave. No one's going to take it away. You're not going to, it's not going to be used against you or anything like that. It's really important. That, yep, absolutely it is. Mm. You know, and, and having that container is, it, it's it's important with just two people. Like a, you know, um, if you're not familiar with the idea of a container, it's like if, you're, if you've got your best mate and you're just sitting down for a beer or a coffee, you know, and, and you want to be able to, you know, talk about stuff that you know is not going to go further, yeah, you know, there needs to be, a, you know, some sort of agreement between you that, you know, hey, look, you know, this is just between you, me, and the fence post, mm-hmm. and yeah, you know, and that's that's sort of like a rudimentary container that you know you've got that structure there for the both of you, so that you can share a little bit, and you you take the risk that um, he he's not going to be inappropriate with the information that you're giving him. Mm. I think that's the biggest challenge for a lot of people. Um, in terms of talking about their mental health and, and talking about what's happening, is that I that fear that you're going to use this in some way against me. This is going to be, it's going to get out. Someone's going to find out about it, and it's going to be yeah. something that used, you know, something that's discriminated used to discriminate against me or treat me differently. And look, and there are there are careers and jobs and work where that's absolutely 100% accurate. Mm. You know, if you're a pilot and you share something that's going on in your life, you know, you risk not, you risk being grounded. Mm. Mm. Uh, if, if you're a surgeon, you know, you're a responsible individual, it's, you risk, you know, something untoward happening to your career if you're not together. Yeah. You know, and, um, and, for many of us, if we're you know, heterosexual and in relationship with women and have children, you know, they don't necessarily want to know that we're not coping. Mm. They want to know that we're solid, mm. you know, because that's what you know, helps them to feel solid and to feel safe and to feel, um, you know, held by their man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's we've been left with, well, where do you share this stuff then? Mm. <laughs> you know. It's just you know it's it's when you when you're holding it all into yourself. It's I remember this in the early days. It was like I'd have ideas and beliefs, the self-talk, you know, the self-talk goes around and around in my head, mm-hmm. you know. And then I would actually speak, you know. And I learnt that by speaking what was in my head, as I listened to myself speak, I was going, "Is that what I really think?" Mm-hmm. Because you know, it sounds different in my head than what it does when I speak it out loud. 
Yeah, and and um, um, and Michael, who you were talking about before, said this great quote, and he said, uh, "I didn't know what I was thinking until I said it out loud." Yep, and I love that, you know, and and yeah, when you think about it, then you actually say it out loud. It sounds different, or you know, if you're thinking, if you sometimes you're thinking something, you start talking about it, and then that train of consciousness takes over. And whatever it is that you're really thinking kind of comes out as well, which is really interesting. Yep. Yeah, um, and you got once you start verbalising, you've actually oh, hang on, no, hang on, look, I'm just trying to make sense of this myself. And you can, you know, if you give yourself permission to you know, make mistakes, and you're you're with somebody or with a group of somebodies that you can actually make mistakes. Mm. You know, you can just say, look, I'm just trying to figure this out for myself, and just start speaking, and just just by speaking yourself and being heard. Mm. Your something changes inside mm-hmm. in your psyche. Just something shifts. It's like a what's that saying? There's a a burden shared is a a load shared is a um, you know a story told as a burden shared or something. Yeah, yeah. I forgot how the terminology goes. Burden shared is a burden halved or something like that. Ah, oh, that's yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it does feel like that. Mm. You know, I just we had our last meeting um, earlier in well, two weeks ago now, ten days, and um, you know, I was I was sitting there for most of the night. There's a there's a lot of sort of pretty deep stuff being shared in the group, and when it came to my turn, it was just like, oh, I don't really think I've got anything to say, you know, because there's so much depth here to that tonight. And but I ended up sort of speaking something quite deep myself, which I wasn't expecting. And, you know, and left the room feeling great for doing so. Mm. Just feeling more solid in myself and and more accepting of myself just because I took that risk in the group. Mm. Yeah, and I, it, I wonder how many men uh, have that experience and don't really understand what it means. Like, you know, you, they kind of feel better, but they don't really know what it is. And And, you know, obviously you've got... Uh, probably a, a fair degree of insight into that so you can kind of get that experience but I wonder how many men actually just go I don't know why it makes me feel good but it feels good so I just keep doing it and that's all you need to do <laughs> yeah. you know you, you don't need to understand how it works you know most of us drive a car we don't need to understand how the car works <laughs> that's true, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> you don't understand how a computer works we just we just use it you know <laughs> that's, that's very true as I said that though, I also thought to myself, that's probably actually how addiction starts as well. I don't know why it makes me feel good. It just does. I'm just going to keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, addictions can take all forms. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Know, so-called positive addictions can become problematic down the track. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, fortunately for me, um, addiction to exercise is never going to be an issue. So I'm, I'm okay. I'm all right in that one. <clears throat> but pardon me, but sadly, um, addiction to food's probably probably in the realm at the moment. So <laughs> well, yeah, for me, it's emotional eating. This yeah. is where you know, it's stress. When I get stressed, oh yes, it's emotional eating. That's that's the that's one of the ways that I've I've learned that I've got to really watch myself. And um, you know, I love dark chocolate. You know, mm-hmm. So I love a you know I eat really well and I've got a really good diet. But um, I eat too much at times, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and dark chocolate I love. And, and, and when I'm stressed, I eat more, and it's harder to not eat when I'm 
feeling stress and pressure. Yeah, yeah. There's um, there's so many problems that chips with chicken salt will solve. That's usually my go-to. You got the dark chocolate <laughs> chips with chicken salt. <laughs> Having a bad day, chips with chicken salt. <laughs> Walked in the door one day with a bag of chips with chicken salt. My wife just looked and went, "What's going on?" I <laughs> Well, let's just, let's, nothing bad, let's just talk. <laughs> she knew. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I'm I'm really keen, like the, the questions I ask, um, try and ask every time we do something like this, when, the first one is obviously how you're going, mate, but the second one is this term mental health. Um, and, and you talked before about doing lots of work with men and I know you've done some other work that we'll, we'll talk about hopefully in a little bit, but what does the term mental health mean to you? Bloody good question. I don't think I actually really thought about it. I just <laughs> assumed, you know, like everybody, I suppose, like everybody else, let's assume I know what it means. And I know, um, you know, we're all talking about the same thing. Um, that's a good question. Um, what is mental health? Well, mental health, I suppose, is how I'm coping with my life. Mm hmm. Basically, I suppose, in the simplest form, is how am I coping with my life? Mm. How how engaged am I with my life? How much of my time do I spend avoiding being engaged with my life? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and my life is not separate from myself. So, how much time do I avoid? Do I spend avoiding time with me, being with me? You know, how accepting am I of myself? You know, and that's and that comes down to how am I dealing with my, not how am I dealing with, that sounds um, very masculine. (laughs) It's like how am I I holding space for my emotions and my feelings and my thoughts and my beliefs and my wounds and, excuse me for a moment, Um, yeah, so it's, yeah, it's, yeah, I suppose we've all got things that, that are in our past which still affect us today and get in the way of us um, engaging with our life fully now, today. Yeah. yeah. I suppose that's, that's yeah, I suppose how, we, how, we, how we're dealing with the not-so-positive aspects of our history yeah. that get in the way of us being engaged with myself, my life, the, and the relationships I have around me. Yeah, and that's a really interesting part as well because it can be what's going on in before you, you know, in, as you say, in your history or what's going on right now. Yep. You know, what's happening to me right now that's making me feel like this? What's happening to me? And how much of that is reminding me of what's happened in the past? Yeah, and, and sometimes you don't even get reminded. Mm. You know, you don't even know you're being reminded. Like it took me... Christmas is not a pleasant time for me because there's a, and I don't know why, something's happened to me at Christmas time at some stage in my childhood. And um, and I've got, you know, a number of sort of issues and traumas that I could sort of associate with Christmas, but I don't know for sure. Mm. But what I do know for sure is that for all of my life, and I'm sort of in my early 60s now, it's like coming into that second week of December and I start getting depressed i start feeling sad i start feeling disengaged from christmas you know which is not a good thing when you've got children mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay if you're single 
you know, but when you got children, you know, so you got to be engaged. You know, Christmas tree needs to be put up, Daddy. The Christmas lights, Daddy. Yep. Got to buy the Christmas gifts and wrap the Christmas gifts, which is all beautiful and joyful and loving, and yeah. you know, it doesn't matter what your level of sort of um, financial capability is. It's like if, you know, as long as you can give them something, it's just it's a joy to being able to you know go through that whole process. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, and I, I don't know what it is, you know, don't know, I don't, don't know what it, all I know is that about 20 years ago, I recognized that, oh, oh, okay, the last few Christmases I've, oh, okay, and then you just start watching myself and it's like, oh, it's happening again, that's interesting, I wonder what that's associated with, you know, so, yeah, it's, about it, a couple of days of downtime and getting on with it. it, it, it did it get easier when um, the kids stopped, you know, believing Santa? <laughs> For me, that was a shift. It was like, oh, thank goodness I don't have to keep up with this Santa charade anymore. But I've got a seven-year-old, so we're we're at the back end of that at the moment. But I've also got a 17-year-old who figured it out one day, and I just went, okay, cool. <laughs> I don't have to do that anymore, thank goodness. Look, I've got three kids, and I'm really sure that my three kids figured out there's no Santa way before... You know, mummy and daddy were ready to actually have the talk about it, and they just kept up the charade so they get the presents. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think it's a great, it's it's a great sort of little. Pre- <laughs> you just, know. I could see a little meeting between the three of them. Right, don't say anything because if we don't believe, we don't get presents. So just keep your mouth shut. Okay? We don't get the Santa present. You know, <laughs> so it's like. <laughs> we'll just get those regular crappy mum and dad presents. <laughs> just shush, everyone shush. We don't you know, they were pulling the wool out of arrows for a couple of years there as well, you know. And which, of course, you don't find out until you start having sort of these conversations with them in their teens or their adults. You know, it's like, oh, dad, you know, I knew years before you, you and mum had the talk, you know, but I just wanted a Santa gift. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I had a friend that actually just ruined her whole son's whole life in a in a in about one conversation because he he came home and he got in a fight at school. He was about nine at the time, nine or ten, and she said to him, "What's a, what did you get in a fight for?" He said, "Well, all the kids were saying that Santa's not real and they were teasing me because Santa's not real and they're calling me a baby." So we got in a fight, and she goes, oh, "Mate, look, I'm, I'm going to have to tell you, you know." So she sat him down. She said, "Listen." Santa isn't real, this is what Santa is, blah, 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 blah. And so he sat there and he sort of looked and he went, you know, she goes, he was pretty devastated, but then she goes, he looked at me and he went, what about the Easter Bunny, Mum? (laughs) She goes, no, not real either. And he goes, Tooth Fairy? She goes, no, me too. (laughs) So she goes, I've just absolutely decimated the poor kid's childhood all in one conversation (laughs) in one afternoon. Oh, my daughter. Oh, that reminds me. My daughter, this is Eddie. Oh, what did she do last year? Oh, no. It's, you know, like we, know, we know that she knows, you know, the Tooth Fairy doesn't really exist and stuff. Mm. But she did, she did her own experiment. Mm-hmm. Instead of putting the tooth under the pillow and telling us where it was, she a tooth fell out and she put it somewhere else and didn't tell us. It's so he had evidence that the tooth fairy didn't exist. If it was real, he would have known where it was, Dad. <laughs> Very good. And this is uh, and this is after us, you know, 
being, you know, off grid for 10 days down Kangaroo Island, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the, the tooth fairy found the, found her down there. <laughs> <laughs> but he couldn't find it hiding in the top drawer or whatever. No, that's right. <laughs> oh, that's cool. The only thing that would make that better is if she actually, like, lost it and didn't tell anybody that she lost it. <laughs> it just went, okay, I'm just going to lose this. Not going to say a word. Let's see if they notice. Let's see what they do with this. The last gold coin donation for a lost tooth. Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We've gone up to about $5 now, tooth fairy in our house. It's very interesting. But anyway. um, So you talked before about men's work. What led you into doing that? What was was the motivator for that? And what kind of stuff did you do? Ah... Jeez, I'm asking these tough questions. <laughs> look, it, it started like I was. I had a. It was a continuation of a of a deep desire I had to be a better person. Yep. And um, and um, get away from all the bad habits that I was taught as a child mm-hmm. and a teenager. Yep. From those around me. And um, so, the first. I, my first men's group was 91, I think, mm-hmm. 90, 91 or 92, probably, 90, probably 92. Okay. And um, it was a Gestalt men's group, and that was mm-hmm. incredibly powerful. It was run by a professional, and um, uh, that was, yeah, really liberating for me. Mm-hmm. Incredibly empowering. What was liberating and, about it? Oh, well, it was, it was using gestalt, which is very much, which really suits men, I believe, because mm-hmm. we're, we, the talking therapies, we, I think, it's, they have their, their usefulness, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I think with a lot of men, it's, it's um, sharing is good, but a deeper layer is moving into that, what's in the body, releasing the emotions in the body. And um, and just Gestalt is a beautiful way of doing that. Mm. And uh, yeah, it was just it's just oh, the the example that comes to mind is remember it was the the men's group was in Kings Cross in Sydney, and um, at the Wayside Chapel we had a room there once a week, and and I remember you know and Gestalt is you know you know, you just read what's in the body you know. And the, ther- and the therapist noticed my hand was moving, and so yeah, in in the group, you know, you get to say, you know, everyone tries to be still. <laughs> don't, don't give him anything. Don't. Yeah. And uh, oh, Steve, you, I notice your hands there. You know, what does your hand want to do? You know, what, what are you talking about? Now, I, you know, what, what do you mean? You know, and um, Alan, Alan was his name. Yeah, and uh, what do you mean? And um, I was like, oh, just just make it bigger, Steve. You know. And, so I started making it bigger, and you know, I said, "What do you want to do?" You know, I was like, "Oh, I want to punch somebody in the face," you know, and, and I had no idea this is what I was sitting with. Yeah. You now it's such powerful stuff. You know, okay, well, pick somebody in the group, you know. So I picked this guy in the group who's sort of an ex-boxer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and like, where do you want to hit him, Steve? It's like, oh, I want to hit him in the face, you know. Okay, well, just just put your fist up to his face, you know. It's like, is it okay, you know? And and so I just put my fist up to his face. And, you know, and then the next thing you know, I start screaming at this guy, you know, and it was just, you know, I didn't know what happened because it was one of my first experiences around um, emotional release. Yeah. And, and I just like, 
started, of course, it was you know, the rage that I had towards my father, you know, because I pushed it all down because I was a really nice boy, you know, nice boys don't get angry. Mm-hmm. And um, just, yeah, just let out this rage, which is, I wasn't even aware of until this guy just said, what's happening with your hands, dude? And, um, and so I walked back home through the cross and it was like, I felt bulletproof. I, it was like a, um, and, and it was like I had this power and this energy in my body, which I just didn't have previously. And just something had been unleashed in my body and, and got home and, and made love to my wife at the time. And, and it was like a, a thick layer of condom had been taken off the whole of my body. It was like I could feel her for the first time and I could, and she could feel me and I could, yeah, it was, quite a profound experience yeah. and um so it was well okay so go back for more of this mm-hmm. <laughs> but um i think one of the main motivators for me came with my i my son was 11 months old yeah my first son and um he turns 26 in a few weeks and so 25 years ago would have been the first sort of men's group that i that i joined and um it was, I wasn't coping. I was, had an 11-month-old son and I was living in Bondi and, um, you know, my my wife at the time, you know, she'd basically, you know, abandoned me, you know, is, is my sort of terminology, you know, because she's dealing with her own issues around being pregnant and being a mother and all the pressure that comes with that mm-hmm. and all the responsibility that comes with that. Mm-hmm. You know, she doesn't have what it takes to support me as well, which is absolutely fair enough. Yeah. You know, but it leaves me because, you know, being a typical male, I put all my emotional eggs in one basket, and um, and uh, which is her. And then once once we have a child, she's not interested in my emotional eggs. She's got enough to deal with, mm. you know, which is absolutely fair. And um, so I needed support and... Uh, so I went looking for support and found a, a men's group, which I became part of for the next five or six years. Yep. We, we met weekly for the next five or six years. And um, it was change, one of the things that changed my life. It was, you know, I was um, the youngest member of the group, which was a new experience for me because I, I'm the eldest, so I've always sort of had to support everybody else. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and it just, yeah, having all these big brothers was uh, life-changing for me. It was, and I got the support that I needed to be a better farmer. That's an, yeah, that's an, that's an interesting one, that, that sort of big brother, you know, older uncle kind of feel, isn't it? You know, the, the idea that there's just this group of men who may be a little bit more experienced, but definitely can help you process some of this stuff. And... <clears throat> probably have all been through it before and not necessarily going to tell you how to fix it, but just even that idea of you sitting there going, okay, I'm not, this isn't the first time anyone's been through this. wonder how these guys dealt with it. wonder what they took out of it. wonder how they managed it. And being able to listen and tell that story is really incredible. Oh, it is. It is. And, and, um, and you just, and we had the talking stick. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and the talky stick went round. So it was quite. A, it was. It was in the days, the nineties, were the days of the in the, of the states and Australia with the what's, what was called the mythopoetic men's movement. Okay. And um, sort of, I suppose the titular head of that would have been Robert Bly in the states, who just died last this year, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, the poet, American poet, and. Um, and it just transformed my life and being, you know, exposed to a, you know, the permission, I suppose, giving my being given the permission to explore, well, what does it mean to be a man to me hmm. and to the men around me? And what is it in me that's, that's male and that wants to be expressed in the world? And how can I express that in a in a really healthy, life-affirming, positive way. What's something you've come up with? What's 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 something that you kind of realise in in terms of asking that question? Um, it, well, personally, you mean? Yeah, yeah. I think that. There's lots of things that could be, but nutting it down, it's giving myself permission to be be different, to be who I am. Mm-hmm. You know that that my expression is not going to be the same as somebody else's. Yeah. You know, it's just there's all different forms of masculine masculine energy. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. You know, there's all different forms of it, and it's and and it's all just and masculinity has a, such a huge myriad of ways of being it's expressed. You know, it's like a, from the I suppose the two examples that come to me from my life is I spent many years as a massage therapist in five star hotels, and I remember one, you know, the the, the worldwide wrestling federation they had a gig in mm-hmm. Sydney. And, you know, so I got a, a, a end up massaging a couple of guys, the older guys, you know, and, and, uh, and one of these guys is, you know, he's the sort of guys that in the 90, he had video games mm-hmm. named, written for him, you know. Mm-hmm. He was a wrestling protagonist and, you know, and this guy was like nearly six, uh, nearly seven foot, you know, and just like beautiful looking man, like Tarzan, you mm-hmm. know, just, you know, and he's... And he gave me this great gift, you know, I'm waiting for him. He's walked into this, this bar at the hotel, you know, and he's like, and I'm looking up at him, you know, and I'm just like, uh, and he's come in this booming voice, oh, so you're the man, are you? Hi, my name's Steve, you know. <laughs> and he really acknowledged me, you know, yeah. just as a man, just, you know, and it was, and he's such this embodiment of masculinity, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, he, and, he's, and his lover at the time was this tiny little Hawaiian Asian-looking woman <laughs> Who's the embodiment of femininity? Yep. You know, and he's just this God, he was such a big man in every way, you know, but he's just big hearted, generous, you know, great guy. I really liked him. And yeah, that's that's your, you know, typical sort of archetypal sort of this is your Tarzan masculine archetype. Yeah. You know, and then but at the other end of the spectrum, one of the most masculine things I've seen is like living in King's Cross. And I was, I was doing some shopping or coming out from work. I forgot what it was, but 
you know, and I've seen this little gay guy walk through King's Cross, the main street of King's Cross, and he's got his white shoes and his little pink shorts, you know, the really tight little high tight shorts and the little pink top, and he's got this little pink parasol, you know, this little tiny guy, and he's strutting through King's Cross, and coming the other way are all these footballers who are just coming from the, the showground after the um, the England versus Australia rugby union match. Yep. <laughs> and I watched this guy just be absolutely who he is walking up the street, you know, yeah, which yeah. is which is just the antithesis of what masculinity is, all these buffy um, football-playing characters coming down for to get pissed for the evening. Yep. And he's just strutting his stuff, walking right in opposition to this sea of footy characters walking towards him, and he just held his space and he just walked through, you know, and I just had nothing but admiration. It was like, man, you got balls doing that. That is just great. The absolute confidence <laughs> of that, the absolute, uh, you know, being so comfortable with who he is and Yeah, exactly. Caring. It's like I'm comfortable in my expression of masculinity, you know, and both of those two guys were totally comfortable in their expression of masculinity. You know, and I just... Yeah, it was. Yeah, they're, they're both inspiring in their own way. Yeah, it's it's really um, yeah, and that, it, it, look, I love um, I love Jason Momoa, Aquaman, and, <laughs> and I've I've always said I said to my wife, if I'm ever ever going to leave you for a man, he's the man I'm leaving you for. <clears throat> um, she knows it. Everybody knows. Everybody knows about my man crush on Momoa, on Jason Momoa. And he is this big, brutish-looking Hawaiian man with long hair and a scruffy beard who wears pink scrunchies in his hair uh, because he can and who right. who loves right. Harley-Davidson's right. but loves poetry, you know? Yep. And, and he, like, for me, I, I'm totally getting what you're saying because for me, it's connecting with me at least, because he is this man who, this is how I express myself, and I am completely comfortable with who I am. And I'm passionate about life, and I love life, and I get excited about what I do, and I love my wife and my kids, and I also throw axes, you know? And I just, and, and yeah, he's just, for me, I, I look at him and I think exactly the same. I think he is, here is a man who's completely comfortable with who he is, doesn't care what people think of him necessarily. Um, expresses himself how he wants to express himself and lives his life. I think it's great. I love it. So, uh, yeah, I totally get where you're coming from. I think that's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it's a, the older guy, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, you know, and they're, mm. so, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of similar archetypes and they're just, and they're both, when you, you know, we don't know them, of course, and we just see see get glimpses of who they really might be. But they both seem to be filled with joy, mm -hmm. you know, when they're not on the screen being a macho, whatever they're doing. But it's just like in life, they just seem to be filled with love and joy, yeah. you know, and and gratitude for the mm -hmm. opportunity that they've been given and the their you know the, and what they're doing mm -hmm. and the life that they have, you know. So it's 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 yeah, it's it's also that gratitude and joy that's that's big with being a man for me. Mm. You know, it's part of my expression is having gratitude and and joy and love. 
It's 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 the very brave. It's it takes more courage, I think, to to love and to be loved than it does to go on and you know fight someone when you're going to get beaten. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You know, to to um to show somebody that vulnerability that exists and to kind of give them the opportunity to see that and experience it and to do whatever they are going to do with it is quite incredible, I think. And, um, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I couldn't... I think you're absolutely right. I think you're spot on the money. I think that's absolutely where it's at. It is really tough to, to love and be loved because you just gamble so much, don't you? Mate, it's... it's 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 the risk they take, you know, and mm. the, there's great power in vulnerability, you know, and and most of us are raised in this uh, this this old fashioned belief that it ta- it's strong. It's to, to be strong, you've got to push the emotions down. You've got to be strong, mm-hmm. stoic, you know, push the emotions down. Mm. That's what strength is, you know, and. And to me, it's the ultimate weakness because mm-hmm. it, it's because everybody can do that. Anybody can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's that's what we're all in. Most of us are in culture to do, mm-hmm. but to do the opposite of that, to actually have the courage to go, f you to culture, to our society, to family values or community values, and just say, hey, look, I need to have a good cry right now. You know, I need to let this out. Mm-hmm. Um. That's what takes courage. That's what takes strength. Hmm. Is being able to show those parts of you that we actually don't want anyone to see. You know, and as somebody who has done a lot of that crying, you know, each time that I've let that out, it's like I feel so much more solid in who I am and so much more solid and connected to my body that it just it gives me the courage to do it again, even though each time I'm sitting on the cusp of diving into that ocean of grief, I'm filled with terror. <laughs> yeah. It just feels so huge and so overwhelming, you know? Yeah, I guess the, I guess the thing is uh, once that, um, like anything, once you do it, you know, there's that quote from the movie We Bought a Zoo, you know, all it takes is 20 seconds of insane courage to do anything. Once you've yep. done it, you get on the other side of it, you go, oh, okay, that was a rush, <laughs> but I survived. <laughs> Here I am. And you will survive. Yeah. And, and that's, I think that's one of the big things that's pretty much a commonality with, with big grief. I'm not talking little grief, I'm talking big grief. Yeah. Of you know existential grief or the loss of a part of a child or you know a horrendous experience mm. that um, when you're when you're on the cusp of that or falling into that ocean of grief and it falls it feels like an ocean you know the the common thing that I've heard you know, throughout my life is it feels like you're never going to come back mm. but you know, and I don't know what that feels like mm. it's like it's just so much if I dive in there I'll never come back but the thing is you know, they always do. Yeah, 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 and that's that's the you know the message you want to get to people sometimes when we talk about things like suicide and and things like that. You you know you, you you can come back. You will come back. You know it doesn't look like you will. It doesn't feel like you will sometimes, but you will. 
You do. Mm. You know, have, have you heard about the, 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 the smallest club in the world? No. You know, it's the, the group of people who have jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. Yes, no. Yes. And survived. Yeah. Kevin, uh, Kevin Hines. 11 or 12 of them, I think it is now. Mm. Um, but, yeah, there's a book written a couple of years ago. And mm. um, and the guy just says that, you know, they he, he's met them all and every single one of them that survived the fall, the, the jump, mm. as soon as they jumped... They, they wanted to take it back. Mm. As soon as they jumped, it was like, I don't want to do this. Mm. But of course, it's too late. They've made the commitment. Yeah, you're already there. And it's just like, and that's, uh, yeah, and that's life. It's like, you know, when you're on that edge and it's just like you want those feelings to stop. You, it's just not, if the pain's too great. You want to stop the pain, whatever the motivation is. It's just, you know, this too shall pass. Mm. Breathe and this too shall pass. Mm. Sometimes yeah. it feels like it won't, but it will. Yeah, yeah. And um, one of the motivators for starting this was um, a suicide of a friend of mine, and I had his wife on the podcast about a year ago. And um, you know, she said I'd, I'd sort of said to her at the time, I said, "What's what advice you got? If someone's sitting there now thinking that you know this is it, I'm, I want to end it all. What advice do you have?" And she said, "You are going to convince yourself that your family will be, be will be better off without you." And that's not true. They're not better off without you. They're much, much worse off. Um, you know, whatever it is you're going through, fight through it because, you know, your family will not be better off without you here. And um, that was really powerful for me. Like when she said that, I mean, I'd already had a similar conversation with her, but that was super powerful when she said it because it was just, you know, um, I think it's really sums up that that conversation that people should be having when they're, when they're in their spaces, when they're, you know, feeling like they don't want to be here anymore, um, really sums up that conversation, you know, that's a conversation we should be having. You know, you're not, they're not better off. Don't do it. And it's, you know, there's that, that other little saying, which I come across um, a few years ago, that, you know, taking your own life doesn't end the feelings. It just transfers them to those, transfers those feelings to those that you love. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. it, it, just, it doesn't stop them. It just passes them on to somebody else. We're at about the 50-minute mark, and I've got a couple other things I want to ask you before we, we, we wrap up. I'm, yep, sure. Um, now, we, want, we, we sort of gone down into the valley of grief, and now we're sort of wanting to move up into the... Yeah, well, <laughs> we got, we, we got part of... <laughs> the sunshine, or... Yeah, yeah, well, you know, it can't always be dark, as they say. Um, but... Um, no, there's a couple of things I'm really interested in. When we spoke before, um, a, couple, a week or so ago, we were talking about, you are talking about your work with, with sex and sexuality. Oh, yes, We've yes. We've never had anyone on that's talked about that before. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that? Because I, I, I remember saying to you at the time, you know, whenever you read anything about self-care, it's always go for a walk, get out in the sun. It's never, you know, tap. Tap the tap the wife or tap the husband on the shoulder and you know have have a have a little session. <laughs> you know, it's never duck into the bathroom and and you know and masturbate. It's it's always you know you know go out and do some push ups. <laughs> you know, tell, tell me a little bit about that. The, the work no, you're, you're you're saying you're, are you suggesting that that um, looking after yourself, taking care of yourself, could actually be pleasurable? Well, it could, yes. And having, making, you know, pleasuring yourself or somebody else 
should be a part of it, but we don't talk about it. Absolutely, we don't talk about sex. We don't talk about pleasure. Pleasure and sex is um, something that's uh, uh, a lot of us are not comfortable with, you know, yeah. along, the, along the lines of, you know, grief and sadness and mental health as well. It's, it's one of the taboos that we're, we're getting better at. Mm. You know, I believe we're getting much better at it than what we were 30 years ago, 50 years ago. And um, and I think the I like to think anyway that the, the the current generation of under thirties is much more conversant with matters sexual and around pleasure than what those of us who are older are. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it, yeah, you've got a more. What what would you like to know specifically, or what do you think? <laughs> oh, look. Uh, uh, I don't know if I have a, even a specific kind of question necessarily, but uh, you know I've got some some young people in my life that are sort of in that sixteen, seventeen, and as you were saying that about people under thirty, but in that sixteen, seventeen year old age group that are actively coming out as being, you know, gay or bisexual and really comfortable with that, and thinking back to, you know, my own experience as a teenager, where if you were gay, I mean, we had a gay guy in school. And he was just mercilessly hounded, um, really given a hard time. But, you know, these kids today are just so comfortable. And it's great. Like, I love it. It's great to see. Um, you know, I've got friends who've got teenagers that are sort of coming out with their, their sexuality. And I'm just standing on the sidelines just cheering them on and going, you go. That's fantastic. I'm so happy that you're you're comfortable with that and able to do that. Yep. Um, but even, as I've said to you before, and I jokingly say this all the time, and if it wasn't for masturbation, I wouldn't have got through the HSC. It was, you know. Let's change something right there. Masturbation. Let's let's stop using that word. Right. Okay. Because we've got all the, you know, all the all the religious and and um, yeah. moral connotations and attachments that we have to that word. Okay, what do we use instead? So let's use self-pleasuring instead. Right. So instead of masturbation, because, you know, oh, God, it's, I've got to say this, this old joke that my uh, previous brother-in-law told me, it was like, you know, when a, when a man's masturbating, what's the most sensitive part of his body? I love it. It's one of my favourites. I know the answer. <laughs> you know, and the answer is, of course, his ears, because he doesn't want to get busted. So he's listening for somebody else, to, you know. And that joke just outlines the shame that's associated with masturbation. Yeah. He's listening you for know? mum to come up the hallway. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, it's just being given permission to give yourself pleasure, you yeah. know, and. And you know, and, and we we program our 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 neurology in in for men to ejaculate quickly. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that us men have to learn is that ejaculation does not equal orgasm. Mm. And so we're programming ourselves to ejaculate quickly. Mm. And <laughs> and that then that leads to bad habits when you start. Ha- Engaging with a partner, yeah, yeah, you know, because your neurology is, you know, you get get it over and done with. You know, yeah, she's yeah. make myself come, and it's like, and that just bypasses all the possible pleasure that can come with taking your time and and really feeling and giving and receiving, and you know, and there are times when you, you know, 
if you're heterosexual, she doesn't want you to take your time. You know, she wants you to go for it. Yeah. You know, but it's it's being in tune with yourself and with her or with whoever you're with as to what sort of... Yeah, I've never, never actually thought yeah. of that because you're absolutely right. You know, when, you, when you're sort of that teenage boy in the bathroom, you know, getting it done as quickly as possible is paramount. But that doesn't actually help you very much three or four years down the track when you're actually with another person because now we've got to do the complete opposite. Yes, and that's where the, this, there's a skill which is called edging. You know, so when you're self-pleasuring, and this is, yeah, this is for, you know, whatever gender or sexuality you are, mm-hmm. it's edging, is bringing yourself up to the point, you know, to just below the point of no return, mm-hmm. and then backing off and breathing and letting the arousal level go down and then do it again and bringing yourself back up to, you know, as close to the point of which no return is what you can get without letting go mm-hmm. and then and just and being in practice and how to do that yeah and the pleasure comes from not ejaculating but the pleasure is in the process not in the final outcome in in all of those sensations that come with that yeah yeah exactly yeah. so it's it's one of the things that I, I teach guys and women you know it's it's um you know i, I I had a sort of sexual healer teacher come into my life about 12 years ago, you know, and after a couple of years of knowing him, you know, I I knew that my life had changed extremely when I was on a a harbour cruise, um, cruising the harbour on New Year's Day, and um, I was having this conversation with this beautiful bikini-clad woman about her biggest problem around sex was that she comes too quickly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, I was like, and I'm just watching her, watching me, listening to the conversation going, oh, my God, I couldn't have done this two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have been safe to do this two years ago. And it's like, wow, how much my life has changed. But pleasure is such a big part of being human. Yeah. And because of our Judeo-Christian background and 4,000 years of, of you know, patriarchal religions, Yeah. We've been taught all the wrong, the wrong ideas about pleasure, and you know, and you can, you know, you can go back and you can see where these ideas come from because the consequences of unwanted pregnancy, you know, even a hundred years ago was much greater than what it is now. Yeah, yeah. You know, it changes everybody's lives. Yeah. It's these days, it's it's there's a we have options. Yeah. And so you know. The invention of the pill and the condom has changed everything. Yeah, even just the added societal attitude to you know single mums nowadays, it's changed so incredibly, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, it has. It has, you know, and and you know, I'm I'm a bit like you in the sense that I envy the the younger generation that are coming through now. Well, the people, even in their early thirties, mid to anyone be younger than not anyone but a lot of people younger than 35 they just they seem to be much more um comfortable mm-hmm. with their own sexuality with expressing their sexuality with accepting others sexuality yeah with accepting pleasure um and it's it's a blessing yeah it's a beautiful thing to behold and to witness that our society 
is changing. Yeah, I think they're, um, you know, for lack of a better term, lucky. <laughs> they're not lucky. But, you know, yeah, it is. It's, it's just this amazing, you know, as you say, you, you guys are going to have a completely different experience. And then potentially the generation after you has a whole other experience again. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be great. Well, well, yeah. Well, as, you know, as you get parents who are raising children who are, you know, it's you know, teaching them about their bodies and it's like, hey, look, you know, it's it's okay to, you know, if you, if you go into, you know, self-pleasure and, you know, just look after yourself, make sure you clean up after yourself, make sure you lock the door in your bedroom, please. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and just, you know, I, I, I caught my youngest son, you know, a few months ago, you know, and it was just like, you know, just had to have a little word to him. It's like it's like it's perfectly okay what you're doing, you know. Yeah. And it's like sorry for embarrassing you, and you know, don't want to shame you, but you know, just just when you when you're involved in that, just you know, just um, lock the door. Just you know, bit I of discretion. Yeah, I don't want to catch you, so it's just like, and you don't want to be caught, so but <laughs> do what you're going to do and enjoy yourself, you know, and just be discreet. I want to see you about as much as you want to see me. So let's just both agree <laughs> <laughs> that we're going to, you know, this is what we should do. Okay, Dad, just you're right. That's what I should do. Yeah. yeah. Um, before we go, because we're, we're getting to the, the end, you, the, the question I ask people at the end then is, in terms of looking after your mental health, what are the things you do and, and what you go to? What's the thing that you go... Yep, I have to do this. This is the one thing that, you know, if I'm feeling crap, this is the one thing that I, I need to do. Um, look, part of my self, um, self-care is um, I've chosen to live near the ocean for the last 30-odd years mm-hmm. and as much as I can. So I'm doing that now. So I find that, you know, I, in, I've been in some dark spaces and some depressed spaces and some, and a walk on the beach or a dip in the ocean is just amazing for changing my state of being and changing my mental processes. And um, if I can't do that, I get in nature. Mm-hmm. It would be a park, whether it be the bush, whether it be, you know, just get forest bathing, you know, is one of the terms I've heard. And it's, it's just one of the things that I do when I can as part of my self-care. But my one go-to that's been with me for 30-odd oh, years would be journaling. Okay. Is um, is having my A4 art book, which has got no lines on it, mm-hmm. and just being able to write whatever I've got to write, just pouring out whatever's inside of me onto the page, and it's just, you know, giving myself mission. And, you you know, I'm not neat and tidy. I just, you know, sometimes, you know, excuse the swearing, but I just might write fuck, 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 fuck for 16 pages, you know, and just, you know, stab the thing, you know, if I'm feeling really angry or just, and just, you know, and write big, write tiny, write small, just, you know, I might do some painting or do some drawing mm. in there as well when, when what I want to express is nonverbal. So I give myself just to sort of get some pencils and just draw whatever, you know, just colours, just whatever. Yeah. And the, the journal is the, you know, I write my dreams down or I write any problems I have down or challenges that I have down. Or, 
it's just been my go-to for 30 odd years it's incredibly powerful you know and having said that you know you've got to make sure that nobody else sees it you've got to be free mm-hmm. so you can write you know you're, you're with people that you, know, you trust that they're not going to go sneaking in and looking because you want to be totally free it's like a sacred experience with yourself you can being completely free and open with expressing who I am on this page here. Hmm. And it's a great reference point. You know, I can you know, I can look back at what I wrote 12 months ago, two years ago, five years ago, and it's like, wow, I don't feel like that anymore. I've come such a long way. Yeah. You know, and, and sometimes in life, the outside doesn't change much, but... You know, when you've got a journal, you can look back on you, what you've written and you go, wow, my internal world has changed so much. Mm. And you've got that reference point there to, to validate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost like you probably forget that you even felt that way and then going back and going, wow, I can't even remember feeling like that. I can't believe I exactly. felt like that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. On that note, my friend, I think we might um, finish. That's fantastic. Thank you very much for Mate, your time. Thank you very much, Adam. That's, I've really enjoyed this. <laughs> Surprisingly, most people do. Surpr- yeah, yeah I, I did mean to say I'm so surprised. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the amount of people at the end of it that go, that was really fun. I really I really enjoyed that. Can we do it again? <laughs> yeah. Anytime yeah, like. yeah, yeah. It was good. It was very good. And thank you for the questions and thank you for keeping us on track. Yeah, no problem. And um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was really good. And if anybody's listening to this and is tempted, give him a call because it's quite good. It's quite fun to do. Thank you. That's a re- as ringing as endorsement as I could ask for. Thank you. Before I go, could I please ask uh, just a couple of small favours? Number one, uh, we would very much, as we said at the start, love for you to review this podcast and, of course, please share this podcast. Um, The reviews help us to uh, help other people to see what this podcast is about and, of course, the sharing helps us to get our message out there. We don't have any money, so we're really relying on uh, social media to be able to spread this message. Uh, equally, if you listen to this podcast, now we do a warning at the start, but if you listen to this podcast and anything uh, triggered for you or it made you think about your own mental health or well-being or someone who you loves mental health or well-being, please uh, take steps to help to either manage that yourself or to support someone to manage their mental health. Uh, if you do feel like you are need to talk to somebody uh, and you can't talk to friends or family, please go and see your GP, or of course you can call Beyond Blue on 1300 224636, Men's Line Australia on 1300 789978, Lifeline on 13 11 14, or of course the Kids Helpline on 1800 55 
If you or someone that you love is in immediate danger, please call triple O. Uh, but at the very least, please um, find a way to manage your mental health and your mental health conditions. And please support the people that you love to manage their mental health and mental health conditions. And again, if something you've heard today triggers for you, please go and seek um, some support uh, immediately to manage your mental health condition, whether that's one of the helplines we just mentioned or the GP. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.